Last time on Dragon Ball Z. Turtle and I are going out to dinner. You two better behave while we're gone. And most importantly, no improv. If I hear any yes and, you're getting the back of this hand. Well, Vince, it looks like we've got the Kame house all to ourselves. Yeah, we do, Aaron, and you know what that means. It's time to throw a banger of a We're Kame House Party, the only improv comedy Dragon Ball podcast in the known universe. We're going through every iteration of Dragon Ball, episode by episode, and performing improvised scenes based on what we watched. And you don't have to be a Dragon Ball super fan to enjoy the podcast, because each week we do a one-minute roundup to catch everyone up so you can enjoy the latest and greatest episode. Yes, and... What the shell is going on? They're doing improv all over the Kame House. They even put on flannel shirts. We're Kame House Party, part of the Moonshot Network, with new episodes every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Don't close out a promo while I'm yelling at you. Finn. Everybody and welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast, all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're finishing The Sword of Summer. How are you doing today, Jane? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I've, I've been semi-productive today. I recorded two episodes of Champs in the Making with you and Raven. Uh, I have finally, after like six months of saying, I'll get to that eventually, uh, started exercising again. Nice. Which, pretty, pretty good, I think. Uh, I've, and I've also come to the incredible realization that, uh, I can no longer annoy you by sending live updates of all the gunplay I'm building, because some of it is now spoilers for Iron Blooded Orphans. No, but I want to see. Which makes me very happy, because that means that, uh, I, you know, it, it's one of those little reminders that I'm in the process of making you an IBO sicko over on the bonus show. <laughs> I'm glad to give you the small joy. How are you today, Jacqueline? I'm doing good. I also recorded Champs in the Making. That was fun. I was, That's such you know, a crazy coincidence. I know, right? Um, I, I took a nice little shower. I'm feeling, feeling good. Just about to, about to end my vacation time and, you know, sort of living in the comfort while I can. And about to end your Magnus Chase time. About to end my Magnus Chase time. Um, yeah, we are... This is our last episode of Magnus Chase. This is our last episode for the year also. And this is our last episode of mm-hmm. reading books for a few weeks. Yeah, fuck books. 2024 is the year where we forget how to read. Hey, at least for probably the month of January, we're going to be switching... <laughs> if, if you didn't already hear us say it, we're going to be switching from... Uh, our, our on, on the main feed, we're going to be doing the Percy Jackson TV show for a little while at least. Uh mm. So expect that after this episode, although I think we're going to take a week off maybe after this um, for the new year. Um, it's possible. But let's, let's, how about you tell us what happens in these final chapters, Jane? Because we, we don't have a lot this week. We have three. We have three. Chapter 72. We burn a swan boat, which I'm pretty sure is illegal. Behind here, yeah, all go to a public park in Boston to give Gunilla and the other dead Valkyries a proper send-off. 
In fact, it's the same park where Magnus was sleeping rough on that fateful morning when Blitz kicked him awake to say Annabeth was looking for him. The Valkyrie loaded onto a swan pedal boat and cremated, and as the crowd disperses, our little family go their separate ways. Hearth is going to Asgard to get that one-on-one chat with Odin about rune magic, but promises to come back and visit his new family soon. Blitz is opening up his clothing store in Boston rather than Nidavella, and tells Magnus and Sam to visit soon so he can make them a bulletproof waistcoat and a new magic hijab, respectively. Sam is in a truly monumental amount of trouble with her family and is grounded for the foreseeable, but she's not too pissed, mostly just happy that Magnus has helped her regain the ability to fly. She also tells the other three that Odin has given her complete authority to pick her own strike force for when she does black holes for him, so she expects to see them all again soon. As for Magnus, he says his goodbyes, has an awkward platonic smile with Sam, and then heads off. He has an appointment and a promise to keep. Chapter 72, I Lose a Bet Magnus meets up with Annabeth in the countryside outside Boston, and the two scatter his mother's ashes to the wind together. According to Annabeth, this is a lot better than her last funeral, which was Magnus's. Uncle Randolph was weirdly weepy for someone who never cared about any of them, and Annabeth feels bad keeping things from her dad right when they're trying to rebuild a trusting relationship. Magnus is hesitant to explain everything to Annabeth at first, but through a combination of Annabeth's assurances that it can't possibly be any more fucked up than her own life, and their mutual determination to be the first non-messed up generation of the Chase family, he's eventually convinced. Although before he starts, he foolishly bets Annabeth that there's no way anything she tells him can be worse than what he just went through. Epilogue We take a swerve in the epilogue, leaving Magnus's first-person perspective to join Randall's perspective in third-person. He's just gotten home from visiting the mausoleum where Magnus's ashes are kept, desperately hoping the kid will miraculously pop back to life. Not out of any concern for Magnus, though. He enters his office and finds the priest from Magnus's funeral services sitting behind his desk. The priest who was, in fact, Loki in disguise. Loki is very disappointed in Randall for failing to get the Sword of Summer for him, and as a result, he won't be returning Randall's dead family. Randolph is prepared to join them, but Loki has other plans for the old man. He doesn't let Randall's failure go unpunished, however. He drips some of the viper poison that spat in his face every day onto Randall's face, leaving a huge scar and sending Randolph into unimaginable agony. Loki explains that it's just in his nature to do stuff like this, from torturing Randall, fighting the gods, and trying to trigger Ragnarok. And even though Magnus has won the day for now, that's not over. As Loki picks up a hammer-shaped pendant from Randall's collection, he tells Randall that there's more than one Norse weapon he can use to bring on the end of days. So, Jacqueline, what did you think of the last couple of chapters of this book? I still liked them. Uh, I'm not sure where we're going with this. I'm worried about directions this could be headed. Yeah, I, I think I think I fall in the same category. I think there is there is stuff in here that I really like. I like the the endings that all of our heroes get, and I think pretty much everything in the epilogue is what's worrying me. And it's interesting. Epilogue is something you've never had to say the word epilogue when starting a summary before. I don't think so. No. This is this is a new thing, and I, I like what it's doing. Right, I like mm-hmm. moving out of the sort of limited perspective of Magnus going to um, Randolph instead, a character who, by all rights, we haven't gotten to see much of in this book. Apart from, mm-hmm. um, and we're keeping him very strongly characterized. He's, you know, um, we're we're kind of getting to re- realize what a horrible piece of shit he really is. <laughs> but everything with Loki has me a bit hesitant. Yeah, I think like on the one hand. The epilogue does a really good job of setting up Loki as like this diabolical, dastardly, like genuinely really threatening villain. 
Uh, and on the other hand, I think it's a massive mistake to go that direction to begin with. Yeah, I we we we've had this discussion over and over again already, and I don't think yeah. we realized what the discussion we were having was like this ultimate you know what i mean we didn't realize that we had to be talking about loki as the big bad um yeah and i guess we still can't be sure right we we don't know for sure that the that loki is going to be our chronos or our you know set uh or Mm. not set but you know our apophis whatever we don't know that this is true for sure it certainly feels like it right now it really seems like that's the direction that this is going to go. And you're right that honestly, I think Rick Riordan does a bang up job of making him. He still it, it makes him feel, um, you know, frightening. Uh, he he's a he would be a I think he would be a great big bad. Like I mm-hmm. I think he would be a great one of those. But I want him to be more than one of those. This it's it's just it's so much less interesting than like the complexity that that you would get if you like took what he was um saying to magnus with like a bit of benefit of the doubt i think yeah we talked very positively when that happened about how like this was a more like complex pantheon this is like taking a figure who could be painted as the big bad and maybe like choosing to make that uh, a, a bit more interesting and this has done the exact thing that we were worried it would and like ironed all that out and i also think it like a problem with this is that this locks off a lot of interesting a lot of the interesting ideas we had for like where sam's character might end up going mm-hmm. whereas like she you know she might end up uh em- embracing a bit more of her father's mentality as she comes to terms with like the fact that this system is like completely crooked and bent against her uh and like that can still happen but it's certainly not going to happen it's not going to involve her aligning with loki because this guy fucking drips viper poison in people's faces which yes and it's awesome when he does it and i like it a lot Mm -hmm. but he's no one to like align with yeah that's that's frustrating we don't know for sure right but the epilogue what do you think of this how i i i feel like it's it's good that we're starting with the epilogue because that lets us end with like all the magnus stuff right Mm. um what do you think of us having an epilogue what do you think that does um formally like apart like in a chain in a way that's different from how other book other like rick riordan books end uh i think like in terms of similarities to other rick riordan books the thing to me that it recalls is like um the the format break at the end of mark of athena yeah well like the the order of chapters was kind of that was the first time rick had really played with that idea to like to kind of underscore the um the, the sudden cut off of like annabeth and percy being dragged to tartarus and i think like the function that this ends up serving is, I think, like, maybe a little bit more basic. It's just, like, it's showing that Magnus is not, like, the center of the universe. That, like, machinations and plans are going on that he has absolutely no idea about. And, like, because of how little Randolph has been in this book, it kind of effectively gets across his idea that they, like, can almost barely intersect with his life in some ways, even though it affects him a lot. I, I think that, like, the format break is key, Rick Riordan. Rick Riordan has gotten good at this. Um, mm. He... He's gotten good at the, at the whole thing. And I... It feels like the villain setup uh, in more ways yeah. than just with Loki. Because I, I I love the transformation Randolph has here. Where we get to peek into his mentality and see like that he really is just this sort of single-minded tunnel vision guy. Um, yeah. 
and just kind of get how pathetic he is. Yeah. One thing that this does that's really interesting is that this, um, when we saw Randolph, he was kind of very sniveling and pathetic. And I think in retrospect, that really helps get across what a threat Loki is. Because, like, you know, th- this epilogue recontextualized that as, like, he was freaking out because he thought that Loki was going to kill him. Yeah, exactly. That's great stuff. Um, this is some Dracula shit, right? This is a little bit of some Dracula shit. This is, like, Dracula and Renfield to me. He's, like, a... I, that's... Randolph seems like a Renfield, or, like, he's, like, a... Something about... His thrall. His thrall. His, like, marked servitor. He's been scarred with acid in Loki's image. That... Mm. That you know that that means he's gonna come back in a big way in the next book and be absolutely terrifying, um, and also absolutely just miserable. Um, mm-hmm. And I I appreciate that in like that's a lot that's a kind of character we don't get a lot in Rick Riordan's books, and I think that there's something almost like <laughs> I don't know there is something homoerotic about his uh, sort of relationship with Loki. I would say. Oh, I absolutely got those vibes while I was reading this. Like, Loki, throughout this entire scene, he's very calm. He's very, like, softly spoken. When he's dripping that um, that, that uh, viper poison on him, he's, like, reaching out and, like, caressing Randolph's cheek. And, like, you've mentioned, like, Randolph, when he starts feeling the poison, he tries to pull away. And Loki's just, like, gently but firmly holding them there and continuing to, like, hold onto his cheek. Yes, yes. And that going along with Randolph when Loki appears, him commenting on like how horrified like his, his beauty is, right? Mm. Like j- just how beautiful a man uh, Loki is. That's great. I especially in contrast with Randolph's motivation, which is this very like I need to recover my dead family, my wife and children. Yeah. Uh, that going through the conduit of like here's my evil gay relationship is kind of an interesting thing for that's not something Rick Riordan does a whole ton and yeah I you know obviously saying it in that way makes it sound kind of rancid um I I I, I am a little bit leery of this yeah I think you know the the, the Loki villain reveal also coinciding with like you know Loki who is a, a very kind of like his, his gender is very fluid, his, his sexuality is often, like, you know, it's something that comes up a lot in Norse myths. And I think, like, the, the reveal that he's the main villain being coincided with, like, him being the most gay that we've ever seen him act is something that I'm not super stoked about. I'm not, like, gonna start, like, throwing bricks through Rick Ryden's windows about it just yet, just because, like, you know, we've, we've got, like, the stuff in this book, like, uh, uh, Hearth and Blitz, who are, like, very much not that and we got like nico in the main series um i'm not you know w- willing to be like this is the worst thing ever just yet but it's still something that i'm a little bit side-eyeing yeah i don't disagree i mean i think that's part of the problem with um making loki the villain in general this is something that happens with, that's happened with marvel right like mm. loki loki got humanized and like like very humanized in comics around like it's happened a few times, but, like, one of the big instances would be, like, you know, the young Avengers and, like, young Loki shows up and we get we get a lot into, like, Loki's gender and stuff like that. And that, after that, you don't see as much just straight-up villain Loki happening. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that, I think Rick Riordan could 
still have a little bit of a twist to this. That's yeah, I because I think that's something we've seen in the past. You know, we've seen that with set. Um, Loki's very set. Loki's very just like the way that he's acting here. Yeah, Loki's very set. Loki's a bit setney as well. Yeah, definitely. With like the dressing up in different costumes and stuff as well, because obviously he shows up at Randall's place like dressed as a priest. Yes, which is great. I, I adore his like. Oh, did you like my my? I really thought that my my speech was quite moving. Like, he's uh, he's he's pissed. And Jesus must be pissed, or maybe he likes it. I don't know. The he probably doesn't like it. Um, I my 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 last thing on this. Is this? It seems like what's going to be happening in the next book, at least, is that Randolph and Loki are going to be playing keep away with Thor's hammer, right? Yeah, that makes sense considering the title of the book. Yeah, uh, and I, I am excited for that because of what we got with just how Loki and Thor's relationship was depicted in this book, like from the, mm-hmm. the scant mentions it had where Loki is like, yeah, that real piece of shit Thor and Thor is like, Oh, I, I wish to see Loki again. I quite liked our rapport, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think like getting those two in a room together would make for like a, a really interesting adventure. Definitely. And also, you know, as much as I'm like, well, this isn't, as much as I'm like, well, disappointed a little bit in just like Loki the villain, I also mm-hmm. have to appreciate that Rick Riordan is dedicated to doing it differently. Um, there was because Rick just outright developed a big relationship. One of the biggest relationships in this book was Loki and Magnus. Yeah, and that's not something that's happened in uh, any of Riordan's books before. Just like no, using this. Not using this entire first book to set up uh, like how they think of each other, all these different scenes. I think that's great. And that's part of the reason I'm actually expecting some sort of twist there. Yeah. And it's, again, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a twist on lightning thief. This is like a different way that um, uh, Kronos whispering into Percy's dreams constantly in that first book could have gone. Because that their relationship doesn't end up in a very personal place out off the back of that, but like this, this like making Loki the villain thing retroactively makes like those uh, death dream talks with Loki kind of like this book's equivalent of um, of Kronos turning up in Percy's dreams. Yeah, and it is, absolutely. Like, developed in a much more personal way for the two of them. For sure. Uh, something incredibly funny about the about potentially the big bad villain of the series so showing up for the first time. Like, hey, I I too know what the Red Sox are. <laughs> would you like a pop tart <laughs> uh, uh, the last thing I'll say about the epilogue is just that um, as, as much as there is stuff in here where I'm like this could be cool this, this might be neat uh, I do think this retroactively makes Odin's characterization worse mm-hmm. I think we, we talked last week about how like what we've got here is fine but we would really like we'd like Loki to show up in the last set of chapters and maybe like give us a bit more complexity to Odin maybe talk about how you know he's not on the up and up he's kind of a manipulative bastard and we've gotten none of that basically so we are no longer in a position to extend our benefit of the doubt to like odin's character and like the impression that we're left with at the end of this book at the very least is that he is like you know he's very sympathetic he's like just a a crazy old man who likes powerpoint presentations i think you're right and i don't care for that i yeah again 
do we do we think that Rick Riordan can simply say Odin is setting up a CIA style like <laughs> secret agent organization and do we trust him enough to do we do we think that positioning is enough of a critique on its own I think with in the framework that Rick Riordan is existing in I don't think so like, I don't think he thinks the CIA is bad is the thing <laughs> And if he does, then it's not something that he conveys to his mainstream audience through his work. Yeah, definitely. So, Odin Watch, Loki Watch, we got we both eyes. I am actually, I'm interested to see, like, um, how we're going to see, like, maybe um, Rick's, like, out of politics in these books. Like, I guess this also gets into Trials of Apollo a bit, but how that changes during, like, the Trump years. Is that gonna like maybe highlight to Rick like some of the more systemic problems of a lot of the things that like you know Trump Trump's presidency like really exposed a lot of the problems with like um, policing and like the intelligence services in like a more open way because he was so unsubtle about how evil they were and I think it'd be interesting to see if like Rick I'm interested to see if Rick is able to put two and two together and figure out that these things were always bad or if it's more of a back to brunch kind of deal. <laughs> I think both both are possible. Both are possible. I I don't know that right. Like I we we get three books, twenty fifteen to twenty seventeen. That means two of mm-hmm. these will be published in twenty sixteen or twenty sixteen and beyond. I my suspicion here is that Rick Riordan is going to get a little bit more overtly political in ways that are uninteresting and probably annoying <laughs> probably annoying and not particular this a little bit of saying my politics back at me um mm. and a little bit of saying what rick riordan thinks my politics would be back at me <laughs> um the, like he, he'll but at the same time we know that rick riordan goes for the more subtle things sometimes i think that just the act of including nico uh making one of his main characters gay like he he could he could he's probably gonna crank up the like here are my diverse characters right um, yeah I think that's gonna happen but uh, yeah so far at least he hasn't seen the sort to go for the like here is the the epic liberal speech that I'm gonna give every five pages he doesn't do the Doctor Who thing <laughs> I do wonder if Loki could become Donald Trump. <laughs> Uh, I think I think that you are just scarred by uh, Young Justice making Lex Luthor into Donald Trump, which is about as nonsensical as making Loki into Trump. They just have him fucking straight up say things like, oh, it's fake news. And they just they make his voice actor like change how he plays the character. So like the voice director is like, all right, can you Trump it up a bit? He just he changes his speech pattern. So he's doing Trump like he, he talks like Trump in season three and beyond. It's insane. It's fucking nuts <laughs> neither oh, of these characters are trump no no i, I, I already met i know it's reductive to be like trump was a fucking moron and these characters are not but also like for all the other more substantive criticisms of the man you can make he is a fucking moron yeah and speaking of fucking morons uh rick <laughs> riordan really wrote some bullshit in chapter 71 no i <laughs> I'm taking a strong stance, so that's not actually. I was a little confused by chapter seventy-one, actually. Oh, how come? I don't understand how this world works anymore. I, 
the way that like the nine realms act seem to change in these final chapters uh, it, it, i didn't get that sense at all what what was making that stick out to you so what ha- the basically in chapter 71 they're mm. having a um a funeral in boston yeah in the like the public garden for the yeah. fallen valkyries then it's so that seems like they're in midgard but then Magnus says, mm-hmm. like, and all my in her eye friends start to walk back to the Hotel Valhalla. What? Well, yeah, the, the hotel's like a, a, a physical place in Boston, isn't it? But I don't think we've seen that yet, have we? Did we know about I that? Thought, we did, we did. Um, when Magnus first dies, he gets uh, dropped back into Boston. Uh, and he wanders around for a little bit until he arrives at the hotel. I... I was under the impression that mm. he thought he was in Boston. You think but, you ah, so you thought he was in like Shadow Boston or something? I assumed that he was in the world of has my, it's very possible that my entire view of this book has been skewed, but I thought when <laughs> he was in the Hotel Valhalla, I thought that this was like a separate realm. I thought that like when he was like, "Oh, it feels like I'm on uh it feels like I'm on Beacon Street. He wasn't actually on Beacon Street. I assumed he was on a place that looked a lot like Beacon Street. That was uh, that was just in uh, one of the Norse realms. But I guess now that I'm thinking about it, which realm would that be, I don't know. I I mean, technically Valhalla. It's Valhalla, but is I'll I guess I'll just say that I'm very confused about how all this works, and I don't like that that's happening at the last minute. <laughs> I my assumption was just that like the the physical building in Boston, the Hotel Valhalla, is basically just like the gateway to Valhalla. Okay, so why does Sam have to fly him somewhere? Uh, it's because it seems to me like well, Sam is flying him into a different realm. I thought and- that I thought it was like Sam is yanking him out of the the fucking void realm where he was going to take to Valhalla. And then from there, it's physically like taking him from where the river where he cracked his head and died to the hotel. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's just true. I But I feel like we had conversations, and maybe this was just me being stupid at the time, uh, <laughs> where I was like, oh, it's really clever how he's like thinks he's in this like Boston, but he's actually not. And that's sort of reflective of how like class works and like the, this universe or something like that. I, I think maybe I just misunderstood. They were just... The Hotel Valhalla was just in Midgard also the entire time. I think I think so, and I think that also tracks with, like, you know, Brooklyn House, Camp Jupiter, and Camp Half-Blood are, like, physical places, and that kind of plays into the whole, like, urban fantasy thing, and especially, like, giving kids this idea of, like, oh, these magical places could be just around the corner on your street. I, I suppose that makes sense. I think because they had to like traverse the world tree to like get back to Midgard I assumed that like Hotel Valhalla was slightly more separate but it makes sense Mm. you know it makes sense that once you're in Hotel Valhalla you're like not the that you're you know separated but not separate wait hang on you're right actually I guess they I guess they couldn't get out of the front door because uh Gunilla was coming for them, but also that is actually kind of weird that they had to. Okay, now I'm confused about this. I don't know. This this is my. <laughs> they like. <sighs> I think it's just a place. I think that's just the simplest answer. 
Okay, I, I I'm probably just gonna go and reread these chap like the early chapters of that happens uh, to mm-hmm. I don't know put my thoughts together for the next book after this. But for now, I guess it's just a place in Boston, and that's fine. Maybe everyone was confused about this, and the first chapter of the next book will be explaining this in excruciating detail. That would be funny. <laughs> um, Halfborn and Mallory, they're 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 having a little thing going on for real now. Official. Couldn't give a fuck. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, you don't you don't you're not uh, really invested in them yet. Uh, not in not in the slightest. Like I don't mind these characters because they were kind of fun when they showed up, like in the first set of chapters, and also like for the finale. But like I I'm not invested enough in these people to care about their romance. I don't know. I don't understand how Magnus inv- is invested enough in them to be like nodding approvingly when he sees that they're like arm in arm. Uh, yeah, I think Rick Riordan. He, I think we we got a bit of a mess up here by not having them show up more. Yeah. Uh, and then it's kind of like an epilogue. This whole thing is kind of like an epilogue. It, it, it's yeah. kind of just restating the things we already know about where people are going. Hearth, Hearth is going to Asgard. Blitz is opening up his shop. We we talked about all this last episode. Yeah, we're, we're just we're, we're talking about the lessons we've learned. We're reaffirming that we we found a little family. I do like the um the thing we get for Magnus here actually, where he's like looking over at the bridge where he was sleeping like a week ago, and like I think the line is something like uh, "Only now could I admit to myself how terrified I've been," which I think is like. I don't know, that's, that's a neat way of showing that, like, a big part of his arc has been, like, opening himself up emotionally. It's been, like, you know, for, for two straight years, he's just been kind of, like, on the streets, not able to really trust anybody. And now he's, like, able to do that and, in retrospect, is able to, like, see how closed off he was before. Oh, totally. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, I think that, like, this is great because it is about him... <sighs> He feels safe now, right? He, he, it wasn't safe to process all that before. Um, mm-hmm. He had to compartmentalize his fear until he was in a better place, and that's, uh, you know, I, I think that is a good emotional beat. I, mm-hmm. part of me, part of me is like, oh, so I guess the solution to being homeless is just to die then. Uh, <laughs> Is, is that what we're saying? You just have to die and go to Valhalla? But I don't. I, I think that's cynical. <laughs> I think that's a slightly bad faith read of what's being said. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. Um, I, I don't think that's what, what Rick Riordan is actually saying. But He's not the Canadian government. No. Well, no. No, he isn't. <laughs> um, I, I, I do think that's what that is, right? Just mostly a, a good beat for Magnus, which is... Yeah. Awesome, like amazingly followed up on in the conversation with Annabeth. The, yeah, this is the good shit. It's so funny. <laughs> it's very, it's very good seeing these two just like shooting the shit together and like neither of them fully understanding the like mythological levels of shit that they are both steeped in. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they're letting each other in. Annabeth is. Annabeth goes with him so he can scatter his mom's ashes and be with family at the same time. Really nice descriptions of this like, beautiful, cold, wintry countryside, by the way. Absolutely, yeah. Um, for a book that is very concerned of summer, this is, like, you know, letting winter be something that isn't just, like, horrible and, you know, we get mm. the Niflheim, we get, you know, the cold waters, all that. 
uh, letting winter have its own beauty is a good is a good turn. Um, yeah. Especially because winter, you know, winter equals death, equals you know, letting go, equals uh, accepting, you know, accepting your grief, et cetera, et cetera. Something Magnus couldn't yeah. do up until this point. Uh, <laughs> And just like Annabeth and Magnus, just like they get to be normal cousins. Um, and also maybe set up a framing device for everything Rick Riordan has ever written up to this point. Okay, I missed that bit. Just, okay, so this is small. Something about Annabeth, okay, you've got a bet, she said. Let's hear what you've been up to. Oh no, I said, your story is so amazing, you go first. So something about like... <laughs> And then all of Annabeth's stories happened, and then and they came first, and then Magnus's story happened. Yeah, that is true. That is how the order of it went. So was the whole thing just sort of Annabeth's story to Magnus? So what you're saying is that the the Greek mythology novels, uh, the, especially the first five PJO ones, are Annabeth affecting Percy's voice in first-person perspective, telling Magnus what happened. You know what? I think it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, probably not. Um, but... Uh, it would be I, extremely I, funny if true. And I do think it's at the very least a cheeky little nod to like, I, hey, it's me, Annabeth, the main char- one of the main characters of this former series. I I yeah. had I was here first. Yeah, and I also like... the One of the neat things about this conversation is I think that it's like a, a strong like thematic statement about how like... about like the shared themes that are between these two series where like... You know the the major character from the the previous and I guess still ongoing series uh, just fucking says out loud to the protagonist of this new one like we're gonna try to be the first non fucked up generation of our family and they're both kind of agreeing to that and thinking that as a positive thing and it's really playing into the theme that runs throughout like I think all of these books which is just like kids having to deal with the absolute bullshit their parents have left them in. Hmm. Uh, you know, the, it it takes it from like the the Olympian level uh, of like Annabeth having to like go and find a statue that her mom lost thousands of years ago to just like two cousins who are trying to be better than uh, than their parents. I really love that. I Rick Riordan is good at writing just like family, right? That's his mm. thing. Um, yeah. he he's done it ever since the Trace Navarre series. We we love Trace's relationship with his brother. Yeah. yeah. Um, and just sort of how how his father has affected him i i like just we 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 get to cross over and say isn't everything kind of fucked up let's this is what it's like i i don't have you know a lot of cousins myself but i've seen you know cousins come together and just get to like talk about like hey isn't it so fucked up how our family is for a little while and like <laughs> that's like a unique kind of perspective you only get to have you only get to have from like family in that sort of way right mm-hmm. um like the both of you have your own different but very similar perspectives to make each other not go insane. Yeah. Uh, it's it's to reassure each other that what you're feeling is like, hey, am I am I am I crazy about this or is this messed up? No, no, I've I've felt I've experienced the same things, and I hope she continues to be a character in these books. Yeah, it seems like she will be right. Like she, they, it might refrain from making her a main character just because of like how much blowback that has the potential to have on like uh, Trials of Apollo or something. But I think she's definitely going to continue to show up a lot. For sure. But it, also, this this fulfills a prophecy that we fucking 
we kicked around as a joke back in like the first set of chapters about like how funny would it be if Annabeth was the only character who knew about all three of these like mythological settings. And it turns out it's true. Annabeth is the fucking linchpin of this universe, and it's right that she is. What if he never actually tells her? What if Magnus just like elides all the all the uh, Norse stuff? I don't think that he can get away with that, considering that she saw his corpse. <laughs> you know, probably not. Also, uh, I just I just want to note um, we've been complaining about chapter titles. Uh, this is a good chapter title. This is it's a neat little use of the format to like give you the punchline to a joke before you get the setup. Where the chapter title is "I Lose a Bet," and then obviously like the end of the chapter is Magnus being like, "I bet everything I went through is way more fucked up than what you went through." <laughs> you don't need to do a fucking self-referential Jason Grace reference. You really don't. You really don't. Do you? Th- okay. Let's let's put these two side by side. Has Annabeth actually gone through? Yes, she has. Abs- absolutely. <laughs> she Annabeth Annabeth Chase was in Tartarus. I think that alone is probably more fucked up than everything that's happened in this book. So Annabeth had everything going on with Luke. Uh huh. Annabeth had a, a million friends die. Having to carry the weight of the world for a while in Titan's Curse. Annabeth never got to have two funny gay uncles like uh, Magnus <laughs> does, so he's got an up over her on that. And we don't know about uh, Randolph. <laughs> That's true. I, I mean, uh, we do, actually. He is, he is gay, as far as we can tell from this epilogue. So he has three funny gay uncles. <laughs> um, speaking of funny gay uncles... I ha- I'm I'm getting a corny alert. Uh huh. The last thing that Hearth says in this book is "I hear you." Yeah, fuck off. <laughs> Come on now, Rick. Don't do that. That yeah, that's. <laughs> I get the I you know. This could be good if Hearth's character had been like he was closed off emotionally. He wasn't communicative with other people. He didn't care to listen to others' opinions. That's not really he's maybe p- like really really insecure about the fact that he's deaf. Sure, any of that. That none of that. Hearth, honestly, I loved him. He was very funny. He, I wish he got a bit more character. Yeah. Or like, I think Rick Riordan never got pat, never got to like, got to the level of letting him just like have full on conversations in a way that I think like you know Blitz got to do, for instance. Mm-hmm. And so. I guess my main hope is that in the future books we get more hearth so that we can have those. That would be nice, yeah. Uh, I will say, uh, Blitz insists that uh, Hearth is going to help him like move all of his stuff into his new shop, and I don't see any version of reality where uh, Hearth doesn't also just like move in with him. No, absolutely. It's not like Hearth is like living anywhere else. So like, where's he going to live? Asgard. Nobody lives there. There also, I'm pe- pretty sure Odin will like kick him out as soon as the the presentation is done. Uh, he will have his guards. Es- he'll have the ravens escort him away. <laughs> Just picking picking Hearth up by his lapels and flying him out of Asgard. <laughs> God, what a shitty gift! Actually, you get yeah. you get to go to a fucking TED talk. And it, even if it's a TED talk about something you're interested in, it's still a fucking TED talk. And you don't even get to, like, lean over to the next person in the audience and go, like, look at this fucking guy. Because there's nobody <laughs> else who's going to come. It's one-on-one. I, hey, he could do that to the Ravens. I'm sure the Ravens are sick of this guy's shit. 
No, you know what? You're right. Anything else you have to say with these chapters, Jane, before we sort of move on to the book as a whole? Uh, I don't think so. I think, like like the last set, my, my feeling is very much, there's stuff in these that I really like, and there's stuff in these that has long-term implications that I'm really fucking worried about. Definitely. Well, what do you think, Jane? Good book? Good book overall, I'd say. I forgot Rick Riordan could write one of these. This, yeah, this is the best thing from him that we've read in ages. And it's not like he's been writing pure trash. We... For all intents and purposes, enjoyed quite a few of the Heroes of Olympus books, and even Some enjoyed of them were the one. Good. And even liked, tended to like a lot of the elements of ones we didn't like as much. Mm-hmm. Um, this is different than any of those books, I think. It's completely insane to me that the like, after a run of, I I say run two since the last one that we really liked, which was Mark of Athena, like that. The, the thing that seems to have broken Rick out of his funk with like a really kind of refreshing kind of uh, very, very kind of original feeling in a lot of ways um, book from him is one about fucking Norse mythology, which is like even in 2015 and especially today, pop culture has beaten that fucking eight legged horse to death like thoroughly, <laughs> but he still he still managed to like do something interesting with it. You're not wrong. But I think he has experience with that because the one thing that I could, I think you could, the one set mythology that you could say has that over Norse mythology is Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. I think people can name, you know, Odin, Nor- Odin, Loki, Thor. I think they can stop. They probably stop there usually. Um, yeah. Uh, and Rick is he's set on exploring the whole pantheon, going really into the myths and stuff that people might not know about. It's just, it's his mm-hmm. classic thing. And I want to give this book more credit than just you said it. It's original. It's we talked about a lot. Like, oh, this is kind of like a Redux Lightning Thief. It's not just that. It's more than that. Yeah, I, yeah it's like the the broad plot is Redux Lightning Thief, but I think like this kind of dropped off. I feel a little bit in like maybe the last third of it, but I think like the framing of a lot of this book as like the Norse pantheon as viewed from the perspective of like a homeless kid. And like how he he views the way that he like the world tries to like victimize and exploit him is like really compelling. Yeah, we get moments of that with a character like Percy, um, but his perspective is very different than Magnus's. Mm-hmm. We that you know we, we've called this out I think early on, uh, where Percy is a marginalized kid for sure, but he yeah. is still in a you know he's able to go to all these different schools he he has a mom that supports him um we've kind of got like darkest timeline percy with magnus a little bit a little Uh, bit yeah and that makes for a very compelling character i i think that he is just an excellent he's always fun to read it's always great when rick goes into like and this is how i'm comparing this to you know exploitative power dynamics like i'm identifying Mm -hmm. that the way that you know, Thor uh, and his goats interact is kind of like the time the cops pick me, picked me up. Uh, that's good shit. And beyond that, I think all of, almost all of the new, like I say new characters, almost every character in this book was kind of a banger in one way or another. Mm-hmm. 
uh, we didn't have any like flop uh, villain of the week, like monster of the week encounters, even the ones that were kind of forgettable or like not like more incidental, like the um, the ocean ones were still either very evocative in their description or just like had very funny bits like he didn't even show up but i'm still thinking about the like uh homebrew fucking ocean god yeah <laughs> the microbrew guy yeah the microbrew yeah yeah there, there were no characters in this who were like fucking i don't know like octavian or something in heroes of olympus or i'm like i'm i'm bored by this guy get do something interesting or get rid of him <laughs> Yeah, and you know what, Rick? Hey, Rick Ryder didn't follow through with doing something interesting to get rid of Octavian. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. He sure went out interestingly. But also, to be fair, that was at the end of book five. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I should we temper our expectations? I I think it's possible that we should. I feel like. I like a lot of this book on its own merits. I also think, like, a lot of the good faith that I was extending to it was kind of, like, because this is, like, the start of a new thing and there was, like, a lot of spaces for interesting things to happen. And I think if these if this last set of chapters has done anything, it's closed off a lot of those. Let's think back to the past. The Lightning Thief, we loved. Mm. The Lost Hero, we really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, the Red the Pyramid, Red... classic banger. <laughs> <laughs> the red pyramid sweeps them all uh, <laughs> the red pyramid we were bored of by chapter 15 i think yep <laughs> i this this is up there with lightning thief yes and i think so pjo as a series was almost all good books um middling to good uh the exception of sea of monsters yeah they're all good yeah, you know, I forgot about Sea of Monsters, uh, the classic, <laughs> the classic mistake. Uh, <laughs> I'm. There's no such thing as the book two curse. This doesn't really exist. Mm. But it kind of does, doesn't it? It kind of does. Sea of Monsters is bad. Son of Neptune has a really good first half, and then I think absolutely whiffs everything in the second half. Throne of Fire is a Kane Chronicles book, so it's. <laughs> It's maybe a bit of an outlier, but also it's still a second book that I don't like. Jay, name three things that happen in Throne of Fire. Uh, Sadie is on a train that gets blown up, I think. They go to Russia, uh, and Rick is generally very ableist about bears. All right, there we go. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Um, You know, I, I didn't think you could do it. I don't think I could have done it. <laughs> um. I, I have a hopes. I think this will break the book two curse. Mm. I hope so. I hope so too. Uh, any predictions, uh, wishes for book two, anything like that? Any like characters you want highlighted more? Anything like any sort of like, uh, I don't know, anything like that? Like you said, a bit more hearth would be nice. Just like, I, I understand that it like, Maybe from Rick's perspective, it feels like maybe a little more awkward to write just because you have to write around like the the sign language stuff. Uh, but also, I think it's it's not too difficult to like just let Hearth have some like longer, deeper conversations with some characters. Like you can you can contrive a way for that to happen very easily. Oh, for sure. Is there anything that you want to see? Yeah, we get a lot of her in this book. I want more Sam. I yeah. 
I want to know. I don't know. I, 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 I'm liking where her, I, I feel like we're in the middle of her arc right now. And I want that to not mm-hmm. stop uh, for, for the next book. Oh, actually, that's 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 something that we um, didn't really get into was uh, Sam's goodbye with Magnus, where I, I I want to believe that this is just like yeah these these two are just friends you know we've got the the like the 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 two leads who are like in love with each other in PJO we've got like uh, so we can like have these two just be friends and Sam's got like her own romantic stuff going on in the background. I, I wasn't sure if, like, the last conversation that um, uh, Magnus and Sam had was trying to set up something romantic for them. I didn't read it that way. What what point to that for you? I think for me it was the bit where uh, Magnus was like, oh, I wanted to go in for, like, the hug, but I knew that Sam wouldn't be comfortable with that. And there's also the mention earlier of her being like, oh, I you know, if you came to visit me, my boyfriend would go nuts. And I think, like, that is kind of, like positioning magnus in like a a romantic context and like to be clear i don't want this to be true i think i think the other option is more interesting these are just like the warning signs that i've learned to watch for whenever i like get my hopes up for just like these two will just be friends i could see it i i was going back and forth with whether that was a possibility during this book Hmm. um and I, at this point, I could see it happening. I don't know that I, I don't know that I want that to happen at all. I, I think I'd rather it not, really. Yeah. But I don't know. They, they have a good rapport, right? Hmm. Eh. Eh. No, it, it won't happen because I'm saying it won't. <laughs> exactly. We can wish this into existence. <laughs> this is how it works. Ah. Uh, I don't know. Any final words on the sort of summer, Jane? I, I we we've said it's good. We've said that it has problems. What we've else had is our there? Issues, to but it? I don't think there's there. I don't think there is a single Rick Ryden book, even ones that we really like that we haven't had our issues with. And I think this is still like a really solid one. It's, yeah, it's solid. It's in frankly, it is just exciting to read every week. There was no there was no yeah. time where I was like I am gonna. I don't want to record. I'm putting off record. That that rarely ever happens with a book, if I'm being honest. But I I never ever had that with this. Uh, I, yeah, there, there I, are no set of chapters where I like this is going to be a fucking slog to talk about. Exactly. Yeah. So, book two is on its way soon. At a point to be determined, depending on how fast we want to go through the uh, the. Excuse me, the TV show, because I know we're a couple of weeks behind at the minute. Yeah, basically, yeah. All right, Jane, should we wrap it up in that case with a one last Nazis hat? One last Nazis hat. I mean, I think you took the easy one last week, so I'll take the easy one this time. Randolph, the you know struggling, closeted bisexual. <laughs> do you think they could do like a John Silver and like Captain Flint thing with um with with like Randolph and Loki? Mm-hmm. Where where like Randolph is just like so deep in the closet that like he can't admit any of this to himself. Yeah, and like actually Loki is being kind of a revolutionary, uh, and like this is going to have it's going to be like the big twist on its head where it's you know revealed that like actually everything loki's doing is good or like he he has a sympathetic backstory etc cetera, etc cetera. 
Or like he understands like the back, power of solidarity. Loki's backstory is that he killed Balder out of spite. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Balder was homophobic. <laughs> He's per- he was perfect. He probably wasn't homophobic. He was probably an ally. Probably. Probably a little bit annoying about it. Maybe that's why Loki killed him. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, who, who are you picking? Uh, I'm gonna pick... I am going to pick... Margaret and Irene, because they're dead. Bury their gaze, <laughs> didn't you, Rick Riordan? Uh, I'm going to pick uh, Hirokin. A character who shows up for two sentences, and I fell in... I, I was like, this is awesome. Yeah, she... I I just... I like this. that they just, like, have a friend who's a giant also. Just, like, you know, the giants aren't just, like, fucking enemy NPCs. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, She's hanging around in this park in the middle of winter in, like, shorts and a tank top. She does not give a fuck. Um, <laughs> trying to think of any way that I can play that off as, like, her being gay in some way. Uh-huh. Wishing you the best. You know what? She she decided to show up for this Valkyrie funeral because uh, she was dating both of the other ones who died. That's awesome and so, so sad. Ah, <laughs> <sighs> oh, well, Jane... Our intro and outro is Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony. You can find that at OC Remix. Our cover art is by Vera at Innsmouth underscore in on Twitter. We are hosted by the Moonshot Podcast Network, moonshotpods.com, goodfuckingpodcast.com, all sorts of amazing things over there, like Champs in the Making, which we are both going to be on episodes 99 and 101 of, uh, you know, watch those feeds. Uh, and... If you want to find us, you can go to Twitter, Tumblr, co-host, uh, uh, other places, I think, uh, for uh, Unwise Girls. That's at, at Unwise Girls, where you can find mm-hmm. episode updates, uh, links if there are big announcements, links to our Discord server, all sorts of things like that. Also, you can find our personals there as well. Now, what you want to do if you like us a lot and you want to support us is go and leave a five-star rating interview on your podcast app of choice. You can also tell a friend about us. Say, hey, go listen to Unwise Girls. They talk about uh, giant girls in shorts. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, That feels like false advertising. That's, that's, that's a rare occurrence, unfortunately. They talk about Loki a lot. You can say that one at least, mm-hmm. you know. Convince some, of, convince some of your Marvelite friends. Like, hey, they talk about <laughs> Thor and Loki and all those, all those people. Convince some of those fucking nerds who actually read the Marvel comics. Hey, I've been reading Immortal Thor. It's good. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Um, <laughs> uh, also, you can support us by going to patreon.com slash girls, where for a dollar a month you get a Discord or love certified chaser. For three dollars a month, you get the Discord or love Mid Guardian, as well as all of our bonus content. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, we're still doing <clears throat> Iron Blooded Orphans on the bonus show. Although I guess since we're approaching the end of season one, we'll be moving on to uh, something else that Jacqueline will pick soon. Which uh, no spoilers, but will probably be something Homestuck related. <laughs> there's there's so a chance. If, if you if you're in if you're into that, which is indeed the majority of our bonus feed when we're not talking about Gundam, uh, uh, check out our Patreon. And for five dollars a month, you get the Discord roll of Thor's Hammered, all of our bonus content, and a special thank you at the end of every episode. Speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank Mint, I Love Sammy's Great, Danny, Tanner, Mercy, Bree, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.
And as we always say, at the end of every single episode. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye-bye. I guess we do see Camp Half Blood next week because we fucking are watching the show. Oh shit, you're right. Yes, we will see next Camp Half Blood next week. Yay! Hey everybody, it's me, Ken. I use she and him pronouns, uh, and I'm here to talk about clowns. The anime slash manga Ken Ashra. I am ready to talk about some animorphs. Roma, have you ever heard of the <gasps> art movement of Dadaism? Interest in a musician group called Exociety. It's Yu-Gi-Oh. The brain worm that I would like to deliver you to you today is um, Gundam and or Gumpla. I became aware of a series of novels that people told me about called Disc World. Hey, Lewis, what are we talking about? Aragon. Aragon. Uh, Welcome to the Hyperfixation, where we invite our friends onto our show to tell us about what they're excited about so we can acquire an approximate knowledge of many things. New episodes out every Wednesday morning and up to five days early for patrons. Normalize info dumping and learn something new with us today, thanks to the Moonshot Network.